Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Pass gas. I'll see you there. It's September 2nd, 1945. The world has been at war for the better part of a decade, but the final remnants of the Axis powers, the officials of the Japanese government, are meeting aboard the USS Missouri to officially end World War II. The world at large is eager to get back to work, and more specifically for this podcast, get back to making cars. Japan was particularly ready to rebuild their economy. But you know what three things are scarce right after a world war, especially if you're one of the countries that quote lost said war? Well, steel, gasoline, and money. And as it turns out, the lack of those resources crafted the perfect storm for the creation of the K-Car. Often misunderstood, underappreciated, and forgotten, these mini-mobiles are some of the most fascinating examples of problem solving in automotive history. So how did they come about? Why did they stick around for so long? And perhaps most importantly, what the heck are they? Today on Past Gas, we're talking about that quirkiest of automotive curiosities. It's the K-Car. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. K-Car. It's little car. K-car. That's what we named our fictional yeah welcome to kcar 1095 kcar the car it's close zero percent it's close zero percent to do with it close nothing to do with that welcome back to past gas my name is nolan sykes we're talking about kcars this week across from me drinking a big old ice cold topo chico it's a regular size ice cold topo chico it's james pumphrey glugging that water down just gotta stay hydrated and bubbly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to my left, as always, Joe Weber. Hey, what's up? How how's your battery level? Because mine's dying, and oh. I like to keep it juiced. Nice. I love when you say that. One of the first times I ever remember getting a huge laugh was my freshman year in high school. Mm-hmm. I was in German class, and uh, I took. Uh, there's a picture of a. It was a German book. They have tons of funny stuff going on over there. And they, there's a picture of a squirrel on a jet ski. Yeah. And I I said really loud, I was like, a squirrel on a jet ski? Now I've seen everything. <laughs> Class lost oh, it. Nice. And I was new. 
Yeah. They had all gone to grade school together. I was new, and mm-hmm. they were like, this kid's got the good. That's awesome. I was like, I'm going to chase this forever. My parents still <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> I haven't caught it yet. <laughs> My parents still talk about the first time I got a big laugh. Yeah. I was three, and we were driving out to my Uncle Frank's farm. Okay, you were three. I was a little bit of a late bloomer. (laughs) (laughs) We are driving out to my Uncle Frank's farm, and I was in the back seat, and they're like, oh, look, Joe, pigs. And I'm like, oh, they don't make them like they used to. (laughs) I didn't even know. (laughs) (laughs) I just said it to myself, and they happened to hear it. (laughs) That's pretty good. That is a... Adorable. I wish you were my son. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just talk about K cars, yeah? What do, what do you guys think about those? They're they're they are popping up in popularity now. People oh, they love the K trucks, the K cars, they're bringing them over and they're pretty cheap. Supposedly there's a huge resurgence of people, farmers buying them, or people on rural areas Supposedly. buying them because why don't you believe this? I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's like five people that this yeah. author talked uh, to. When I you don't. need to take one pig from one side of the farm to the other. Yeah. I mean yeah. they yeah. make, Fire up the they huge make diesel sense. tractor. Yeah, they make sense for like a farm vehicle because they are mm-hmm. tall. Small. Tall. They are tall for how small they are. <laughs> they're not proportional. <laughs> they are not proportional. <laughs> they're small. Yeah. They're little. Yeah. They're trucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, having uh, the steering wheel on the right side doesn't bother you too much if you're in a field. There's nothing for you to hit. Nope. Yeah. Except nope. cows Except or pigs, pigs, which they don't make like they used to. Now well, they grow them in a lab. I was going to say gene therapy, gene, gene alteration. Therapy. Yeah. Gene needs therapy. Remember how they put the stickers on milk where it's like, this has not been treated with the growth hormone. They still RMST. do. That's a big thing with um, that red one with the cow on it. Horizon. Which I assume horizon. is most, yeah. Horizon. Oh, Horizon. Yeah. They don't do it? No. Well, they, they put it on big, bold font, not yeah, no, treated no, with no. RGBST or whatever Apparently, it's those don't. Ha- horizon doesn't have uh, forever chemicals in their butter either. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Horizon, we are looking for a dairy sponsorship. <laughs> yes, yes. You can have... Uh, we want to we get as much lactose. Yeah, yeah we Category get, exclusivity. Our office isn't stinky enough. All right, so let's talk about K-Cars. Okay. <laughs> so let's get the most important thing out of the way. Well, I just, right up I want to say right away right up though top. that K cars aren't just funny little trucks. No. Mm-hmm. They are also there's also tiny little sports cars. Mm-hmm. Yes. And AutoZam. Yeah, Easy. AutoZam, Honda Beat, Cappuccino. Cappuccino. Yeah, they Cappuccino. can make some really cool little sporty cars and I would love to put a motorcycle engine in one of them. Mm-hmm. A little Hayabusa in it? A little, little, little Busa motor in yeah. it. Or, little Busa. Uh, Suzuki's got that supercharged engine. Put that in there. Oh, yeah. Be a little oh, tiny yeah. little Shelby Cobra because I've said it before. Stand by it. We'll say it till the day I die. Convertibles are only cool if they're scary. Mm, that's a good, good point. Yep. Good point. So... Speaking of K cars, let's get the most important thing out of the way up top. The definition of a K car, okay? The Kaiji Dosha is a vehicle category set by the Japanese government for the smallest highway legal passenger cars available for sale. This category includes cars, microvans, and the aforementioned K trucks. Even though the regulations restrict the overall dimensions and engine size, owners receive benefits like lower taxes, lower insurance costs, and the removal of certain ownership restrictions like being able to prove you have a set parking spot. You can just park this thing everywhere. It's often said that there's a power restriction, but it's much more informal than other regulations. It's more of a gentleman's agreement between ah, the manufacturers. Yeah, yeah right. gentleman's, like a gentleman's latte. Yeah, like a gentleman's club. 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah, very gentlemanly. Over the years, the overall sizes and engine capabilities have increased, and the resultant restrictions have led to everything from the iconic Honda N360, the Subaru Sambar, to the legends of the K-Car Golden Era, like the AutoZam AZ1, which has the gullwing doors. Those things are sick. Yeah. Suzuki Ch- Cappuccino, little, uh, yeah, little car. Honda Beat. <laughs> <laughs> little car and little car <laughs> little car uh well yeah the k car can even lay claim to the ancestral origins of the suzuki samurai which i love those things yeah. very much but all that started with 150 cubic centimeters my mom's best friend was this woman elise and she had a fiance named dave mm-hmm. and he was kind of a goof but he drove a suzuki samurai and in hindsight it was the perfect car for a kind of goofy guy Definitely, who dated yeah. my mom's best friend, Elise. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Shouts out to Dave. Shouts out to Dave, <laughs> wherever you may be. Yeah, where do you think he is at right now? I don't know. Elise is dead. Oh. Mm-hmm. K car. Prior to World War II, U.S. manufacturers had gained a significant foothold in Japan. In fact, many of the domestically produced vehicles were based on American and European designs. Early Japanese automotive pioneers like Nissan built their cars based on the Austin 7 and Graham Page vehicles, while Ota looked to Ford for inspiration. One of the most egregious examples was the Toyota AA which bore more than a passing resemblance to the Chrysler Airflow. Oh, yeah. Turning on that car was a 12-step process. No, it wasn't. It's an AA joke. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Starting in 1925, the Big Three built factories in Japan to produce their own products, and the Japanese couldn't get enough. Over the next decade, American manufacturers produced more than 200,000 vehicles for sale in Japan, compared to just 12,000 produced by domestic manufacturers, Japanese manufacturers. In 1936, the Japanese government passed the Automobile Manufacturing Industry Law with the intent to bolster the domestic auto industry and hamper foreign competition, their uh, chicken tax. But this all became a rather moot point uh, with the start of World War II as worldwide manufacturing switched to military production. Y'all poked a sleeping giant. (laughs) (laughs) Did. Dude, we were super underestimated before World War II. Mm -hmm. Like, they were like, they were like, all right, these guys don't even know what's up. And turns out, we did. We just flipped the switch and we were like, guess what? All this. Stuff we're doing, building cars yeah. and shit. Guess what? Big old airplanes, yeah. dickwads. I love the military-industrial uh, complex. This was pre <laughs> the military-industrial complex. This was like the beginning of everything, but it was sick. This is, we were <laughs> sick back then. But now it's post-war Japan. People had no money. Manufacturers had no steel. No one had any fuel. The entire country is buying motorcycles. And while an entire country of two-wheeled travelers sounds cool AF, the realities were a little less appealing, especially when that country is full of mountains and gets a lot of snow. Like a lot of snow. How much snow? <laughs> a lot. Okay. And like percentage-wise, though. Yeah. More than 50% of the country is considered a heavy snowfall area. 
And as anyone who likes riding around on two wheels will tell you, snow is not ideal for motorcycles. No. Ask Jeremiah. He's like, burr, no thanks. <laughs> and so was born the Kikar. <laughs> the Kikar. <Perfect> <laughs> In 1949, Japan introduced the first Kikar classification, limiting engine size to 155 cc's for four-stroke engines and 100 cc's for two strokes, with a max length of 9.2 feet <laughs> and a max width of 3.3 feet. That's and a, Jeremiah's dimensions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's nine by three. And a max height of 6.6 feet. Hoping the tax and insurance incentives would encourage manufacturers to produce and consumers to buy something other than motorcycles. It was time to once again motorize Japan. Let's go. Let's go. These early examples were mostly three-wheeled cars in name only. Basically, motorcycles with an extra wheel and a flatbed in most instances. You know, it gets the job done. It's two motorcycles with a house in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) And with that 150 cubic centimeter limit, these things weren't exactly fast, guys. (laughs) So much so that the Japanese government increased the size and displacement limits just one year later in 1950. And again in 51. And again in 55 when the limit was finally set to 360 cubic centimeters. At the same time, the size restrictions were relaxed a bit as well, providing more space and usability for the consumer. Just one year after the K-Car classification debuted, regulations allowed an extra six inches of length and an extra foot of width, though the height restrictions stayed the same. People can now carry more and actually sit in the cars with a slight amount of space between their shoulders, unlike our Chang Lee we have in the parking lot, which is very small on the inside. And smells like glue. Yeah, it's weird. It's a, Sometimes it, I go out there and just sit in there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, dude. That's when you write your best stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was all part of the government's effort to develop a national car that would help motorize the country. So the Japanese Ministry of International Trade and Industry started their People's Car Program. Mm. And this is when things really started to take off, James. Yeah, you know when you uh, a people's car, little uneasy when yeah. I hear that. Mm-hmm. When I hear that, the cars began to actually be cars this time with four wheels, nice doors and a roof and all the bells and whistles. Literally bells and whistles because that's all that could fit in there. <laughs> and the importance of these distinctions and the fact that it had four wheels and a three hundred sixty cubic centimeter engine can be seen in the naming conventions for Suzuki's first foray in automobiles. They named it the Suzilite SF to let you know that they were getting a Suzuki four-wheeler. This is a Betty Boob car. <laughs> it's called the Suzilite. Oh, yeah. yeah Damn, that thing's sick. That's cute. I yeah. love that. When it went on sale in 1955, it offered a double wishbone coil spring suspension front and rear. Okay. Pretty good. It had rack and pinion steering, both of which were quite impressive for any car of the era. That's, that's some sports car stuff. Yeah. The Suzelite was also available in a pickup, van, or sedan configuration, though only 43 sedans were ever built. See, people complain that the Eclipse is like a crossover now. Like, cars used to, you used to be able to order them in like van, Uh truck. (laughs) Yeah, El Camino. Yeah. Uh, 
It wasn't exactly what you call the top seller, and reflective of the fact that most of this early era of K-Cars was focused on commercial applications, delivery vans, and trucks that could keep the wheels of commerce and industry turning. Subaru, on the other hand, wanted to highlight the blistering power of their first car, naming it the Subaru 360. This thing is awesome. Making sure that everyone knew it was sporting that 360 cubic centimeter two-stroke uh, 16-horsepower engine. I'm reading the history of the Yugo right now, and Malcolm Bricklin, you probably heard that name before. Oh, yeah, Bricklin SV1. Yeah, so he started importing these yeah. into the U.S., and they were like, it's like two feet shorter than the Bug. The Yugo it's is? T- no, the Subaru, Subaru 360. 360. And two feet shorter than a Bug? Yeah. What? And uh, it's Where do just you even go? Tiny... And it it was like had horrible safety, and the U.S. was like, <laughs> "No, this is not going to work." This car had suicide doors, a rear-mounted engine, and had a monocoque construction, which is pretty That's sweet, cool. and a one thousand pound curb weight. Uh, it didn't just have suicide doors; it had suicide everything. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> if you drive that bad boy, you got a death. A wish. steering wheel that pops off when you drive it. <laughs> <laughs> The 360 sold nearly 400,000 units over its 12-year production cycle. Yeah, making it the first successful domestic Japanese automobile. Originally, it was only available in sedan, convertible, and station wagon configurations. But in 61, Subaru introduced a flat-nose pickup variant of the 360 called the Sambar, a vehicle that is still in production today. Wow. They have a Subaru 360, like an early 60s one, at the Subaru dealership in Inglewood. Oh. In their showroom. What are you doing over there at that dealership, Joe? Uh, I'm <laughs> trying to make good after all the, you know, hey, we yeah. got trials we put them through. We got some we got some good on the way, I think. I'm just kidding. We got some good on the way. We think- got some good on the way. Yeah. Some of that good good. All right. Well, throughout the ensuing years, innovations <laughs> continued to improve the K car experience as consumers demanded increasing improvements to comfort, drivability, and performance. Automatic transmissions appeared in the Honda N360 in 1968, just one year after its debut. And even though K-Cars had been part of the cultural consciousness for nearly two decades at that point, Honda still felt the need to drive the proverbial point home by naming it the N360, where the N stands for Norimono, Japanese for car. Can't have people thinking you're only making motorcycles in those days. Come on now. No, no, I swear I make more stuff. <laughs> The Honda N1, a current JDM K car, is a retro-styled throwback inspired by this first generation of Honda N vehicles. And the entire N series today represents about a quarter of all yearly sales for Honda. Holy moly. This thing's sick. I know. This thing yeah, is sick. Like this. this is a spoon example, It's a spoon too. one, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would out, eat that car. I would uh, drive you it. With, with a spoon. When you go on Japanese Craigslist, uh, TC1 or whatever mm-hmm. the website... Everything has like 100,000 kilometers, mm-hmm. which is only 60,000 miles. And you're like, why would anyone give this car up? Taxes. It's like awesome. Yeah, it's cheaper to just get a new car mm-hmm. than it is to like register something that has more than 100,000 kilometers yeah. on it. Better for us, though. <laughs> we get us. some sound better bars. For, better for us. That's only <laughs> 100,000 kilometers, only 60,000 miles. That's I know. less distance. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. 
from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. <laughs> get it? With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. So now it's 1967, and as far as anyone could tell, K-Cars showed no signs of going anywhere, except for everywhere. Whoa. (laughs) And while the K-Car speed restriction was still set at just 37.3 miles per hour, 60 kilometers an hour, increased from 40 kilometers just five years prior, power just kept going up. The release of the N360 sparked the beginning of a K-Car horsepower war. Nice. The cutest little horsepower yeah. war you ever did see. Buzz, buzz. Mini horses. We call it the mini horse. We call it the little Sebastian power war. <laughs> did you see little Sebastian? Is that the picket lines? Yeah. With the- <laughs> I, well, I saw that and I was like, there's no way that's the same horse. No. That is a different horse. That, is, that one horse is dead. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mr. Ed? No, little no, Sebastian. Oh, well, horses Ed's live for like forty five years. No. Not little ones. Let's bet on how long a horse. They uh I'll bet on anything <laughs> with horses. When a couple <laughs> when I was in high school, there's an advertisement the world's smallest horse was nice. visiting town. <laughs> I think I've heard this story. <laughs> and we went it was like an hour drive from my house to go see it because we had nothing going on that weekend. Yeah. We show up and it's like in this little pen and <laughs> It did not look well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's fake. Were like the eyes all bulgy? Like, its yeah. eyes were, like, kind of near the top of its head a little bit. <laughs> its nose was kind of upturned. And oh, my God. It was, like, not... It, it, it felt sad. I saw it. Like, even at, like, 16 years old, I was like... That horse deserves better than this to be carted around Central California to the, to the, for the enjoyment of, of myself. Next stop, Garlic world. Festival. It was, yeah, it was sad. It was that horse. <laughs> Subaru's uh. popular 360 was no longer top dog or top horse. <laughs> so they decided to answer the Honda N360 with some really cool sporting variants of their own. Named the 360 Young S and 360 Young SS again 
Interesting. <laughs> Named after Hitler Youth Program. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These models had bucket seats, tachometer, racing stripes, upgraded engines and transmissions, and dual carbs. Power was bumped up to nearly 35 hertz per. <laughs> and while that might not sound like a lot, its tiny little 360cc engine was getting 100 hertz per liter. The same power-to-weight displacement ratio claimed by a Ferrari 250 GTO oh, at the time. Oh, nice. I'm so, sure they were just as fast. <laughs> that's something you could just throw in the face of your Italian friend. Yeah. Who is another member of the Axis. I love that it's a... <laughs> I love that it's a horsepower war, and they're like, did you hear Subaru's upping the power to 35 this When year? is it going to stop? Ah, what are dangerous. they doing? Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> These were the first Japanese cars to achieve that milestone. Not so terrible when a car only weighs 1,000 pounds. Pretty good. As a result of the one-two punch of the Honda N360 and the Subaru 360 Young SS, 1970 saw the introduction of sportier models of K-cars. Young SS is a, a, a interesting choice. Yeah, Young SS sounds like a neo-Nazi SoundCloud rapper. Yeah, what the hell? Okay. The Honda N360 GS dropped. This thing is weird looking. I like it. Oh, that is weird looking. Yeah, the Honda Z360 GS dropped in January of that year with a 354cc two-cylinder single overhead cam engine that delivered a whopping there we go 36 horsepower. Let's go, dude. And revved to 9,000 RPM. I bet this thing's so fun. That's fun. Yeah, that's cool. And while the 60 Sprint took the better part of 20 seconds, <laughs> it was still a huge improvement over even the SS version of the Subaru 360, which often had trouble even reaching 60 miles per hour in testing, despite a claimed 75 mile per hour top speed. Downhill counts. Downhill counts. That's what we say in the roller coaster industry. Downhill <laughs> counts. <laughs> He's in the bobsledding world. Downhill counts. The Subaru 360's suicide doors tended to fly open at speed regardless. So improvements were plentiful with the new breed of sport case. People were no longer satisfied with scooters on steroids. They wanted proper cars, even if they were tiny. Later in 1970, Daihatsu revealed their own K-car hot rod, the Fellow Max SS, <laughs> uh, a souped-up version of the already popular Fellow Max. Its 360cc two-stroke engine also had a dual-carb setup that allowed it to put up a top speed of 75 miles per Imagine hour. going 75 in that thing. I can, and I will. <laughs> I thought you were going to... I thought you were going to just stop at 75. Imagine going 75. <laughs> Imagine it, dude. Nolan's gone 175. Yeah. 183, 193. Tell us all about it again. Sure. All right. So, <laughs> With its fender-mounted mirrors and hot hatch profile, it's still a looker. Today, uh, I want to go on record saying that is the writer's pers uh, yeah. opinion. It's it's unique. fine. It's fine. I think it's cute. I think that the Honda Z360 GS, I'd much rather have that. I think sick. We should race these. We should I go know. to Santa Margarita Airport. And sure. Race these. I want to. I want to drive a Honda 360 GS, and we can stand in front of them for the thumbnail, all Dude, crossing our revs arms. to nine thousand. 
Yeah. And then that's when VTech kicks in. And that's when VTech kicks in. And that's when you hit that top horsepower, 37 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah. Given the atmosphere and the appetite, it's no shock that K-Car sales peaked in 1970 with nearly 750,000 sold nationally. But there were dark K-Clouds on the horizon. (laughs) (laughs) And they were pushed via the winds of an energy crisis with a K. As the 70s continued, the Japanese government started pulling back on the tax and insurance incentives offered to K-Car customers. Then, in combination with increasing emissions regulations, sales started to plummet. It's interesting that K-Cars didn't, like, thrive during the I know, it's weird. I don't understand. Honda and Mazda pulled out of the K-Car game entirely in 74 and 76, respectively. And then, by 1975, Japanese sales of K-Cars had dropped to just 150,000 units 80% of their peak just five years earlier. This is so backwards to me. This is yeah. crazy. As the oil crisis, well, a lot of them are two-stroke, too, and those things are not clean at all. As the oil crisis led to increased emission standards across the world, manufacturers like Daihatsu and Suzuki, whose vehicles were largely powered by dirty two-stroke oh, engines. because it's, it's two-stroke. They were You're hit. too smart to, you just get ahead of everything. <laughs> they were hit especially hard, Joe. Fortunately, though, for Daihatsu, they were backed by one company called Toyota and uh, were able. Yeah, you heard of those guys. They were able to pour some money into developing more efficient four-stroke engines. But even the manufacturers that had already had four-stroke engines knew that hitting the new emissions regulations while providing enough power to sell cars was going to be virtually impossible at 360 cubic centimeters. The engines is too dang small. It was time for the K car to grow up a bit. Grow up a bit, why don't you? Grow up at 360? Yeah, maybe in kindergarten. <laughs> collectively, <laughs> collectively, manufacturers petitioned and lobbied the Japanese government. Oh, God. We're on video now. Yeah. If you want to see the joke I'm doing, go to YouTube. <laughs> collectively, manufacturers petitioned and lobbied the Japanese government to increase both the overall dimensions and engine capacity outlined in the K-Car regulations, believing that at 500cc, they could meet the new emission standards and still deliver enough power to be a product people would actually want to buy. The new standards were announced on August 25th, 1975, with overall length and width restrictions increased by 200 millimeters, or 7.9 inches. We'll give you 7.9 inches, but no more. I'll give you 7.9 inches. (laughs) (laughs) But to everyone's surprise, the new engine capacity limit was 550 cc rather than the expected 500. So they gave them a little wiggle room. Hey, guys, we're not going to give you 500 cc's. We're going to give you 550 cc's. All right. (laughs) I want to see some modest horsepower. (laughs) This was a problem, though. Everyone in the K-Car space, except Daihatsu, believed that 500cc would be the limit, which resulted in seeing K-Cars with smaller transitional engines of 450 to 500cc capacities. Throughout the end of the 70s and into the early 80s, overall sales of the K-Cars began to increase and even surpass the previous high of 1970, thanks to a thriving export market where commercial vehicles represented the majority of those sales. So even though they're not selling very high in the... In Japan, because yeah. of that small engine, they're shipping them overseas. Year after to year. To little places. To little places. Like Rhode Island. Yeah. Yeah. 
Year after year, exports oh, of K vehicles across. That's a very deep Mr. Show joke. Year after year, exports of K vehicles across the world continue to increase. And by 1980, nearly 80% of those exports uh, were what the rest of the world dubbed micro trucks. Little baby trucks. Little micro trucks, like micro greens, but a truck. Yeah, and they run off of milk. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of a garage, you park them in a bassinet. <laughs> As for passenger K cars, their sales... Uh, their only emissions are in a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> As for passenger K cars... They don't get washed, they get baptized. <laughs> I mean, babies still get washed too. <laughs> you gotta what you get. They don't go to the car wash; they go to the sink. <laughs> As for passenger K cars, their sales continued to wither. By comparison. I said baptized because I'm Catholic. Okay. <laughs> I love this bit. <laughs> but the Japanese economy was rebounding. Uh, on its way to the boom of the 1980s, the Japanese public began to have stronger opinions on what they wanted and needed out of their passenger K cars. No matter how cheap the vehicle, they wanted features like air conditioning. Nice, love it. Four-wheel drive. Don't care. Turbochargers. Like it. And other luxury features began to be added to passenger K cars, which eventually increased their sales. On top of that, the speed limit for K cars was increased to 50 miles per hour now meaning they were no longer relegated to being driven solely around town. At the same time, manufacturers took a page from the American playbook and began marketing their microvans to the passenger markets as well as the commercial consumers, taking advantage of the increased tax and insurance advantages the government bestowed upon those models. All the crazy K-car microvan builds you've seen on the internet, well, this is where they were born. Boom. Starting in 1986, the Japanese economy exploded in a good way, with the real estate and stock markets reaching new heights every year. Think um, American Psycho, but Japanese. Japanese Psycho. Psycho. (laughs) You can always be better. You can always be thinner. (laughs) Everyone seemed to be making money, and when money... Dude... I, I'm sorry. I know in hindsight, like, all these people are problematic and stuff. But, like, I wish so bad that I could have been, like, around in the 80s to just be a piece of shit making a ton of money <laughs> and driving Ferraris. Like, I wish I could just make a ton of money on the in the mm-hmm. Asian market. Mm-hmm. But have you seen, like, old footage of them yelling on the stock floor market? Stock floor market? Stock market floor. You wouldn't last a day. <laughs> <laughs> we would eat you alive. They're all just like, ah, ah, ah. I wouldn't like, be that can guy. Can you do that all day? I wouldn't be that guy. I wouldn't be one of those guys. What I'd be, be something else. I don't know, a version of me. I'd be like, uh, I don't know, yelling at a train station and getting paid to do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> cars didn't I saw a guy yelling at the train station yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, nobody was giving him any money. I would, be doing, I would be doing something. I'd be doing something, but I wish I could slick my hair back. Drive a Ferrari and not be nice to anybody. (laughs) Just do crunches all day. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Everyone seemed to be making money. And when money is flowing, things can get a little bit ridiculous. K-car regulations were adjusted again in March of 1990, allowing for a slight increase in overall length to 10.8 feet, keeping the 4.6 foot width about half a foot more narrow than a smart car. What? Six inches. Half a foot? Six inches. 
and adding an additional 100 cc's of engine capacity to play with. Now we're at 650. And you better believe the manufacturers were going to take advantage of every single one of them little cc's. <laughs> Within five months, every major model had come out with a bigger engine, and the government was getting nervous. After the introductions of turbochargers and multi-valve technology in the 1980s, there was a concern of another K-car horsepower war. On top of that, the Superbike Golden Age was in full swing, and with so many of the K-car manufacturers also making motorcycles, therefore being right at the center of the battle, the technology to pull huge hearse purrs from small injurinos was finally in reach. Without the pesky concerns of fuel economy, our emissions getting in the way. They're also making three-liter V6s and inline-sixes at this time. Uh-huh. They're not super concerned about like how crazy K-car engines are. Like, I feel like it? it's not as crazy as... No, but they're making like one-liter engines that make 220 horsepower for motorcycles. Oh. Yeah, but I mean, the, the K-cars are like the least of their concern at this time. Who's? Is what I'm saying. Like the... The government? government? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. You don't know what they're thinking. I don't know. What, you talk to them? I didn't. You're right. Yeah, maybe you should fact check. Maybe try get in touch with Japanese official from the 1980s sometime. Yeah, maybe try. All my phones are tied up with me (laughs) screaming about stocks. Here. (laughs) Here, you guys talk. (laughs) Listen, man, if I have learned one thing in my 26 years on Earth, (laughs) if there's something... Someone cares about it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. In a display of impressive foresight and discipline, the manufacturers acted to protect the tax and insurance incentives that were at the center of the K-car attractiveness. And just like the 1988 Gentleman's Agreement that capped advertised horsepower of full-size JDM vehicles to 276, the manufacturers agreed to limit K-car power to just 63 horsepurs. Mm. But the manufacturers were ready to take that creative limitation and create their own K-car golden age, the age of the ABCs. Mm. Autozam, AZ1. Oh, A. Uh-huh. Honda, B. B. Yeah. And Suzuki, Cappuccino. Oh, that's C. All right. Yeah. Nice. They missed a huge opportunity to call it the K Pacino. The K Pacino. Oh, oh for sure. Right? Oh. Yeah. I call it the Suzuki Bapabino. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you're a blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Bapabino. <laughs> Got my Suzuki Bapabino. My Suzuki Bapabino, buh. <laughs> Three cars that check every ultimate sports car box. Rear wheel drive. Yeah. Manual transmission. Yeah. Limited slip differential. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Four wheel independent suspension. Uh-huh. <laughs> 9,000 RPM screamer of an engine. Uh-huh. And a sub 2,000 pound curb weight. And guess what, gentlemen? <laughs> what? They're affordable to burn. Oh, oh man. No. Give me one of these. <laughs> 
Give wow. me a Honda Beat and two hot dogs, please. <laughs> we got money left over for a large Dr. Pepper. <laughs> oh, man. We're talking something that's as practical as a supercar, as f- economically fuel-wise as a Prius, Yeah, okay. for about the same price as a Corolla. Okay, I'm liking it. There's just one catch. Oh, no. We never got them in America. Ah, yeah. Crud. Mm-hmm. Because our dogs would have eaten them. Yeah. We got big dogs over here. Yep. <laughs> I love watching videos of dogs ripping off <laughs> bumpers. Like, <laughs> like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> I know. I like watching dogs rip bumpers off. I like to, watching dogs, like, bust through doors. <laughs> have you seen the pit bull <laughs> yeah, that squeezes through yeah. the iron gate? Yeah, I love that. And he bends the iron? <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's like the neck. Like, I want a dog that that thick. Like, that proportions. <laughs> You can come over to my house. Yeah. I'll just. I want a dog. Right there. I like. Like a county fair mortadella <laughs> with. Uh huh. Like just yoked. Like a dog with delts. <laughs> and I like the videos of the dogs like running up a wall. Yes. Yeah. Like I like yeah, a dog great. that's like a bad guy thinks he's getting away. Yeah. And I'm, he's, my dog's like, no, you are not. You're yeah, gonna, that's great. And he's a little like giggle. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this, <laughs> this, this mom, I think he's going to break into our house. <laughs> Wait up, dad. <laughs> <laughs> and they bark like this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the weirdest and most rare the AutoZam AZ1. While Mazda dropped out of the K-Car game in 1976, they'd obviously been paying attention to the ebbs and flows of the Japanese economy because in 1989, they launched AutoZom, a company created to attract young buyers, much like Toyota did super successfully with Scion in 2003. They were around for a while. Uh, That's a CAA Scion. (laughs) And when it came to Scion's a PSYOP, And when it came time for them to drop the new K car, they tapped someone who knew a little bit about designing sports cars, Toshihiko Harai. Oh. Now, you might not recognize the name, but you would recognize his work. He was appointed head of the Mazda Roadster program in February of 1986, and while working on what would become the MX-5 or Miata, he came up with the concept of Jimbai Atai, oh. horse and rider as I one. I love it. Oh, like uh, Avatar. Like Avatar. <laughs> yeah. And that's why when you start up a Mazda, you have to put your ponytail <laughs> yeah. into the car. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> He believed the biggest priority of any sports car should be the connection between man and machine. Just like Avatar, dude. Just like Avatar. <laughs> and just like, follow the money, James Cameron. <laughs> should have been George Washington. And while the Miata, James Cameron for Pope. <laughs> I'm Catholic. <laughs> and while the Miata could be considered sort of understated, Horizon wanted something truly audacious for his K car. Gullwing doors. Check. Mid-engine. Check. And just 1,500 pounds with an engine that rev higher than you're willing to climb. Ten feet. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, Mazda's plan with AutoZam never really coalesced. 
The AZ-1 barely cracked 5,000 total units over its very short life cycle, and that's only if you count the special editions and the rebadged Suzuki Kara in the total. AutoZam AZ-1 was powered by a Suzuki-built 657cc dual-overhead cam turbo triple. That's a three-cylinder, baby. That is unironically one of the best-sounding engines you've never heard. Now Google it. That's pretty decent. <laughs> it's the only car that sighs. Uh, <laughs> get us some uh, cry paper, please. Uh, <laughs> We've got to clean up. <laughs> clean up on aisle me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't expect to take any weekend trips in this little spitfire, however. <laughs> Come on. What? <laughs> that's what? what it says. I know that's what I know. That's what Why'd it you says? say? Come on. I like it. I'm going to start oh. saying a little Spitfire. Okay. You're a little Spitfire right now. I Sure. I'll take it. I thought maybe you were saying that you didn't like it because Spitfire was a... Uh, no, that's a British plane. British it's plane. It's just funny. Don't expect to take any trips in this little Spitfire. Don't expect to take any weekend trips in this little Spitfire. Maybe I just like it because I took a weekend trip this weekend. With a little Spitfire. With my little Spitfire. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, she is too. She really is. <laughs> <laughs> she, what was your nickname for? My little one. L- lo- <laughs> anyway, don't expect to take any weekend trips with this little Spitfire. However, <laughs> as safety testing found that the spare tire originally stored in the front trunk, or as Christina, our producer, loves to call it, the frunk. She won't stop. Uh, well, storing it up there would push the steering column into the driver's face in the event of an accident. <laughs> Good. Good. So AutoZam asked owners to move it inside the cabin <laughs> behind the front seats and say goodbye to any storage space whatsoever. Uh, we did a video on this car. Um, we had one. And if you want to watch me shoehorn myself into the tiny supercar you've ever seen, you can check it out on our YouTube it really was surprisingly not as small as I thought. Yeah. Not much shoehorning going on think, in that little spitfire. Yeah, not a lot of shoehorning in that spitfire. I'm not like, I'm not really like a big K car fan myself, but I I think I could see myself owning the, the auto Zam at some point. Yeah, it's like a seventh car. It's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. As for the beat in the trio, the Honda Beat is likely the most popular of the three. It's also the last car to be approved by founder Seichiro Honda before he died. Fitting, considering he was the one to guide Honda, and to some degree, Japan as a whole, through those tumultuous post-war years. Uh, it's also a tiny little roadster, and that was Honda. Honda's and it came with car. a little motorbike, a fold-out motorbike in the back. In the beat? No, that's not the beat. What is it? Oh, the Honda City is what I'm thinking of. What's the difference? A lot. Beats. A motorbike. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a roof. A motorcycle. With the highest production numbers of all three, the Beat boasted Paninfarina design, Zebra interior, and a mid-mounted 650cc single overhead cam three-cylinder with four valves Ooh. per cylinder Ooh. and the Amtrak multi-throttle responsive engine control system, which was... 
ahead of its time. Cool. This gave an individual throttle body to each of the three cylinders, like a motorcycle wow. engine. It allowed the system to modify the air fuel for each cylinder individually based on RPM, which delivered sharper throttle response without sacrificing a stable idle that consumer products require. The Beat is also the heaviest of the three. At a relatively portly 1,675 pounds, and it has the least power. But with a 90-inch wheelbase, the Beat has almost no overhang front or rear and offers true go-kart handling. Despite its benefits, the A and the C of this trio simply outperform the Beat. Now for the C, the Suzuki Bapabino. (laughs) (laughs) It shares the same engine as the AZ-1, but it's mounted longitudinally in the front mid position, giving true 50-50 weight distribution. The Bapabino actually had several (laughs) engines over the course of its production cycle, but it's the F6A that also came in the AZ-1 that you want, especially if you plan on doing any tuning. When I used to live in... uh, Palace Verdes, there's a cappuccino at the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And it had RPF1, so it's like a dark green. Wow. It's cool. real cool. Took a bunch of bad pictures of it. <laughs> my girlfriend's ex has one, so this is my least favorite. Oh my car. God, dude. Let's <laughs> smush it. <laughs> let's go beat him up. Yeah, dude. Let's beat him up. Actually, he sounds pretty cool. No, he's pretty chill. He had a Delica space gear, too. What? And he owned a warehouse. That's my dream. He owned a warehouse? Yeah. But he got bored. He was like, actually, our warehouse is kind of whack. Yeah. Who is this guy? Elon Musk. Made a lot of money with the weed industry. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. And what's even better, because the engine is mounted up front, the cappuccino actually offers a functional trunk. Or what I call a frunk. A frunk. (laughs) But it's not the added power of the the Bapabino that makes it better than the beat. 43% 43% more torque down at 4,000 RPM, and it's not the added practicality that makes it better than the AZ-1. It's the top. An innovative three-piece hardtop meant that you could configure the Bapabino as a Targa, a T-top, or a Bunvertible. <laughs> That's sick. Uh, someone at Bonneville was uh, driving a Bapabino. Whoa. Really? Yeah. That's Fully sick. stock. Like yeah. fast or just around? Uh no, they were going down the course. I think their rec- the the record for their class is like ninety something miles an hour. <laughs> That's yeah. fun. Yeah. That's super fun. What's the class? Funny. Uh, I mean, if you bring anything to uh to Bonneville, you can find a class for it. That's normally. sick. Yeah. That's cool. That's sick. On top of that, the Bapabino can brag about a historic footnote that adds a certain air of opulence to its overall mystique. Played by Rebecca Romaine Stamos. <laughs> She's just Rebecca Romaine now. Right. She's married to Jerry O'Connell, who wishes me a happy birthday every year on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. That's, oh, I yeah. don't even yeah. remember some of my best friend's birthdays. No, he, uh, he, I did, he like hosted my sketch show a number of times years ago. And he's like the nicest, he's a nice enough guy to like still be in contact with me. That's, That's awesome. awesome. The Bapabino was almost redesigned by none other than Romano Artioli and his team at Bugatti. Oh, yeah. Back in the 80s, Artioli was making his money with Ferrari dealerships in northern Italy and Germany. Then he became Italy's first importer of Suzuki's. And with the money he made from both, 
who went on to buy the Bugatti trademark, which had been languishing in the annals of history <laughs> since the company's demise in 1952. And I think he was the one that came out with a EB110, mm-hmm. and then he sold it shortly after that. Bugatti's pre-VW record isn't all that impressive, considering it only managed to produce barely two models before the company went bankrupt in 1995. But what's often forgotten about these dark times is that the company was working hard to bring a redesigned variant of the Bapabino to Europe, a mid-engine version that would adhere to the stricter European safety standards and would thus be dubbed the Espresso. Is that real? Nice. I love that. Sadly, it never came Damn, to Damn, a little cappuccino Bugatti? little cappuccino Bugatti called the espresso. Dude, that <laughs> sounds like a little bit like a, the baby. Like. <laughs> I got to say. Got no keys in my espresso. The cappuccino is pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah, like the one. Yeah. That's the one I'd get. Yeah. I like this little guy. I want to get a cappuccino and put a Busa engine in it. The K-Car party couldn't last. By the K-car time party. the car car party couldn't last. By the time these legendary three were released, Japan's economy was already in trouble. The real estate and stock markets crashed in early 1990, and the impressive strides that had been made in the 80s were wiped out in what came to be known as the lost decade. Sadly, the production of the AZ1, the Beat, or the Cappuccino wouldn't survive the end of the 90s. Insanity gave way to practicality as Japan moved into the 21st century with the microvan craze taking over. And while K-cars seemed to have fallen out in favor with the Japanese government, 2014 saw higher sales, gasoline, and K-car taxes, with the latter getting a 50% bump, the same cannot be said about the consumer. K-cars had a record 40% of domestic market share in 2013, and even after that 50% tax increase in 2014, they still represented more than a third of all cars sold in Japan just two years later. In 2018, seven of the top 10 Best-selling models in Japan were K-cars. And the top four were all boxy. Top four. The top four. The top four. <laughs> go take it again. <laughs> and the top four were all boxy microvans. Very nice. Sadly, despite this continued interest and success, Daihatsu, Honda, Suzuki, and Nissan Mitsubishi are the only manufacturers currently mass-producing K-cars. And Nissan Mitsubishi's commercial offerings are all just rebadged Suzuki's. But these limited offerings aren't dissuading people from buying and enjoying these little bundles of joy. Colin Chapman was right. Light equals fun. And not only that, small equals cheap. These things are fun to drive, easy to park, and cheap to work on most of the time. And all three of those ABC legends are now available to be imported to the U.S. There are countless YouTube channels and TikTok accounts showing off crazy K-Car and K-Car adjacent builds. And James Pumphrey is going to be the next of them. Yeah, I'm going to get the smallest car possible. K-car, more like. J-car. J-car. J-K-car. Ooh, what if I change my last name to J, J-E-I? No, that's not why I wanted to. I want to change it because I was at a Wait, hotel. your last name? So you'd be James J? Yeah. That's a terrible stand-up person's name. Yeah. Uh, I want to change <laughs> Yeah. I want to change <laughs> my Yamava. James J. I do want to change my last name. So if you guys have any ideas, you can email us at pascas at donutmedia.com. I went to a resort this weekend, and every time I had dinner reservations, they called me Mr. Humphrey. And you know what? That's been happening my whole life. What? I'm sick of saying Humphrey with a P. Mm-hmm. I want to have a normal name. I think we're now at the point. I understand. I get Mr. Skye's 
all the time at the grocery oh, store. Oh, Mr. Sky is a yeah. cool name. James Scott. Yeah, that's all right. Oh, that was perfect. But James Scott. I feel like in the, the, your audience, uh-huh. the YouTube audience now, they know it's Pumphrey. I Everyone know. Everyone knows it's Pumphrey now. So I'd make a thing out of it. Yeah. Hmm. I'd make a thing out of it. Hmm. So I'd have to change it to, like, Knife. James Knife. <laughs> yeah. All right. Spoon. Sure. Or, like, Shelby. Okay. Not because I like Peaky Blinders, because I like Carol Shelby. I don't like skinny British guys. I like fat Texans. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was our K-Car story there. Uh, here's some listener mail from Mike. Hey, guys. Hey, oh, come on, let me do it. You oh, always you get to do I, it. I was about to read oh, it. Okay, how about Joe? Joe? Oh, yeah, Joe, you read it, take Joe. Joe, you smartass. Right, thank you. Thanks. I'm, I am smart. That's, <laughs> this is from Mike McLaughlin. Nice. Hey guys, I've been listening to your show every week almost since it started and still look forward to each episode. Nice, in spite of everything. Loving the recent disc golf talk. Okay, no way. And it's so much fun knowing there are more disc golf plus car guys out there. I think there should be a recap of the yeah. latest discs and okay. games at the end of each episode. Each episode, Mike, be hilarious. Episode. Keep every up the great work. Episode, Thanks, Mike. Mike. Okay, I like the sound of it. Uh, uh, hey, Mike, <laughs> guess what? Yeah, f- right, pal. <laughs> no, but you know what? I will, if we can get a disc golf sponsor. On yeah, this if we get show, it. Hey, yo, yeah. hey, if we can get a significant disc golf sponsor, I will start playing yeah, disc golf. It'd, probably, oh. it'd be great. It'd be great. Do you hear I that? I haven't played MVP in so long. Discs? I'm a car guy. I own a golf and it has disc brakes. There you go. There you go. go. Easy. Easy money. Well, thank you, Mike McLaughlin. Bling, 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 bling. Let us know where you're at. Bapabino. (laughs) Bapabino. All right. Follow. What about James Bapabino? (laughs) (laughs) James Bapabino. I'm James Bapabino. I'm Catholic. (laughs) Thank you so much. My My biggest fear is that schoolboy Q is listening to this and he's like, ah, shit, I didn't know James was a blood. I hate fast gas. Big thank you to our producer, Christina Felsky. Thank you to Nick Gialuso over there. Thank you to Gavin Kinzel sitting right behind me. Yeah. And our writer this week. Oh, dude, I had a... Go ahead. Michael Perkins. I had a dream the other night that uh, we had an intern and they were rude to Gavin, so I fired them. Whoa, <laughs> do you hear that, Gavin? Yeah, but I was like really mean about it, and then I woke up feeling bad. <laughs> no, they deserved it. Yeah. Uh, follow I James. I like, had like security escort him out. So, I mean, like, <laughs> like a we huge have security deal. now? Yeah, in my dream, we did. Uh, follow James at James Humphrey. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Or me on TikTok at Kentucky Cobra. And me, if you'd like, at Nolan J. Sykes. Tell a friend about the show. Number one automotive podcast, Pass Gas. We'll see you next time.